Good morning, Valley Lights. If you had some candy today, what candy would it probably be? I'm guessing the shape of a heart. <laughs> Today's a holiday. Maybe you had uh, some chocolate hearts or you've had those spicy cinnamon hearts or maybe uh, those chalky conversation hearts. Um, you know, there's all kinds of good candy on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day. Um, there's a, throughout the day you may see hearts on greeting cards. You may see hearts in some text messages or emojis or memes. And uh, you may even see hearts on my daughter's t-shirts because she loves wearing that. <laughs> um, some of you may be the kind of person that wears your heart on your sleeve. Now that, that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? There, there's all kinds of phrases that we use with the word heart in it. Uh, in fact, if there's someone that you really admire, you might say that they've got a heart of gold. Or someone else, you might say that they've got a heart of stone. That means something very different. Uh, we've, you've come to church on a great day because we're starting a new message series and it's called Relationships in Tension. And my name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor at Valley Lights Church. In today's message, we're going to have a little heart to heart. <laughs> we're going to talk about the heart. In fact, I want to look at what's really inside that heart of yours and the implications for how that impacts your relationships. Somewhere along the way, as we talk with people, we start experiencing some tension. And sometimes it's every day, <laughs> depending on the person. Who do you live with, uh, or who do you see most often? Who, who do you spend the most regular time with? Um, how often in those relationships does tension start creeping into conversation? As we've lived through the past year, uh, would you say that there's been an increase in the amount of tension in any of your relationships. It's been an interesting year. There was a, um, a little bit of a viral video going around last year where uh, it, was, it was focused on a guy and the announcer says, uh, it was a would you rather question. Would you rather A, be quarantined at home with your wife and kids every day or B, and the guy says B, B. B, whatever, whatever it is, I pick B. Oh man, there's, a, there's possibly some mounting tension at home or when you get into conversations with people. And I, I don't know if you've ever thought, man, some people, they have no idea how pressured and provoking their tone of voice is when they talk. Maybe you felt that way. It's, it's really easy to pick that out in other people. Usually, we think there's tension because of the other person. And so we'd say, uh, you know, we, we, you and I, we'd be fine if you, would just, if you would just let it go. Or we'd be fine if you would just do what you said you were going to do. You and I experience tension in our relationships. I've experienced it countless times in my marriage. I've seen it play out in my kids. And I've, I've had it in other relationships, too. And this really is no different than any person who's lived in history before us. In fact, we can trace the tension all the way back to the very first family that ever lived on the planet. And so we're going to look at Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. And there's a situation that we can read there in our history that impacts us now today. So in Genesis 3, we're going to pick up the story with a conversation between Eve and the snake, the evil serpent. 
Uh, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And, and then here's the part to really pay attention to. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So here we have Adam and Eve standing in front of the forbidden tree, and, at, and they were at a decision point. Before they ate the fruit, they, they had to ask the question, how seriously should we take God's commands? Is there any wiggle room in what he said about this whole not eating from the tree thing? But where they landed, they resisted having to submit themselves to God's rules. Which, you know, it's not like it was a very long list. There <laughs> wasn't a lot on there. But maybe what was on there, they, they felt chafed by the rules. God demonstrated himself to be good to them. He, was, he had provided so much for them, so much blessing. But the thing that appealed to them the most was this idea that you'll be like God's, which means you won't have to submit to him. You can decide for yourself what the rules are going to be. So God said, obey or you will die. And the snake said, you will not die. It was God's word against the snakes. Who would you have trusted if you were in that situation? It really didn't seem like they put up that much of a fight. There wasn't a big contest there. Was the snake really that much more convincing? Or was the issue the appeal of being able to live for myself, to be able to make my own rules? Maybe that was too strong of a desire. Adam and Eve chose to forget God, and they ate the fruit. And this didn't come without consequences. God very quickly rolled out uh, the consequences, and, and it, what happened was there was centuries of sin and pain and trouble and horror that was set into motion by this act, this human act. Um, the, the consequences that, that were rolled out are called the curse. Lots of things are wrapped up in it, and lots of things that we learn, actually with a lot of help we can get in understanding our world by acknowledging that, but with regards to relationships, here's one thing that we learn. Tension in relationships results when we refuse God. In fact, one of the first things we see is that there's tension in marriage. Here's one part of the curse. God said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. I want to focus on that second part which reveals the power struggle that lives now in marriages that you see every day. The word desire, where the woman, will, her desire will be for her husband, it means there's a determination of the will. Really, that women would have a natural desire to exert their will for the direction of the marriage, for family life, for real big decisions, 
and for small everyday decisions. And then what we see here, he will rule over you. Natural in men is to rule out of selfishness and convenience for themselves. Have you ever seen a sitcom where the wife is exerting her control and setting direction and setting the agenda and meanwhile the husband is he's just focused on doing what's good for himself. He's trying to get in a position where he's not hassled, he's not being bothered, or he's just serving his own goals or his own desires. Have you ever seen it lived out in real life? Way back since the very first family, there's been this power struggle in marriage. There's tension, and, and this is a fundamental experience for, for marriage. We recently drove to the beach as a family, and we had to get ready, you know. We, when we woke up, we, I had an idea in my mind about the role I would play in getting our four young kids ready and packed up and loaded, which was a, a small supporting role. <laughs> and it turns out my wife and I were not on the same page about what it was gonna take to get out of the house. And the tension started in the kitchen and it continued on the whole drive to the beach. Uh, that was not my favorite way to drive uh, or to resolve it, but we did finally get it resolved. We, we talked through some of the dynamics and uh, I owned my part and we, we talked through that. And as we, after we parked at the beach, I turned the car off, I looked back at my kids and, and I asked if, if they had noticed tension in the car. My daughter said, yeah, sometimes we drive places and you guys are fun and I like that better. And I thought, me too. <laughs> oh man, we've, we've experienced all kinds of tension. And, and it doesn't only live in marriage. Uh, what we see also in this story is the tension uh, that exists in family. In the story that we see in Genesis. Have you ever seen how brothers and sisters relate? Maybe you are one. Maybe you experienced strain over the years. Sometimes kids are playing and wrestling and they're having a lot of fun and then someone gets frustrated and the wrestling starts getting rough. And then before you know it, somebody's pulling hair, someone's going for the throat, and it gets personal really fast. We're gonna look at Genesis 4 to see more of this first family story unfold. Cain and Abel were brothers and there was a very strong sense of competition they had. Um, Cain reached a boiling point where his, he, had, he had tremendous anger against his brother. So it says, Cain was furious. He, he, he looked despondent, which means he was gloomy and his face was down and he was stewing over his emotions. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you, not do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, he, he doesn't even respond to God in this story. Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That's intense. It, uh, it got to a point where Cain was furious and he, he spent too long in his head, too long stewing on his emotions. And there was strain that, that led to him hating his brother. Hatred is just murder waiting to happen. 
God mercifully alerted him to this, but, but Cain shrugged it off. He, he didn't want to acknowledge that warning. So their tension, it wasn't there just because they were brothers. We can experience this with our friendships, with working relationships, anywhere. Cain's struggle reflects the battle that we often find in ourselves. Sin lives in each of our hearts, and it is powerful and persuasive. Here's a good way to describe our condition. Our hearts have become S-A-D, SAD. Uh, it's an acronym, it stands for selfish. In our hearts, we just say, I want what I want when I want it. I want a sparkling water right now. <laughs> or I want you to leave me alone, and I want it right now. Uh, also in our hearts, we, they're, they're arrogant. We're arrogant. You know, I want what I want, and I deserve to have it. I, I shouldn't be blocked. And then finally, D is there's this desire and really a willingness to damage. That I want what I want and I deserve it. And if you don't give it to me or if you don't get out of my way, I'll find a way to make you pay. I may use cutting words, I may slam a door or stomp around, or I may withdraw emotionally, but you will pay because I, I want this thing. And maybe things can even get physical. This is the condition of our hearts. And we see another description of our hearts in Ecclesiastes 9.3. It says, The hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. That word evil, it's a Hebrew word, ra, which means it really has this idea of we're willing to harm other people. That's part of who we are. And the madness, it talks about a, a delusional foolishness that we have where we, we think we deserve. It's this idea of arrogance. We really think we deserve that God owes us or the world owes us or people ought to give us what we want. And that's, that's delusional. <laughs> that's wrapped up in our hearts, but it's not reality. Um, elsewhere, the Bible tells us that there's selfishness too. That part can be trained out, particularly as we're kids with discipline, that can be trained out. But these other qualities... Uh, the heart condition. These qualities live in our hearts until we die. It's a part of us. And this is a strong contradiction to the popular notion that people are born basically good. What do you think? Are humans born good and then they turn evil because of external forces? I say put a bunch of toddlers in a room by themselves with one toy and you find out pretty quick, selfishness doesn't have to be trained in. <laughs> uh, or put a bunch of adults in front of a Walmart on Black Friday and let them have it. And you find out real quick what's in there. Is it true that the default of our internal motives is to look out for other people before ourselves? Some people would say that, that we, we ought to be able to create this utopia in life, this sense of perfect equality, but we're battling against these external forces that, that create inequality in our world. The real culprit to our problems is internal. The problem resides within each of us because wherever you go, there you are. You bring your heart with you. <laughs> you wanna get away from the tension? You can move to a new place, new city, but there you are again. You, you bring yourself, or, or you could end one relationship and start another one, 
and there you are. Your heart comes along too. This is such a crucial issue. Whether or not we just admit that there's a problem within us, that our hearts are stained with sin, it makes a big difference on how we find a solution. And, and ignoring it makes it worse. For example, if, if there's a big strain or frustration with a family member, you could just cut off the relationship and, and stop talking or stop relating. And in a way, you remove the strain, but you end up with a broken relationship. Or in a marriage, if the thing doesn't completely fall apart, you could convert to coexisting. You could just um, agree to seal up the emotions in a certain part of your life and let it go numb and coexist that way. But this, none, none of this is what God wants. It's not what he's intended. And he's actually given us the ability to enjoy good relationships here and now. The historical account of Cain and Abel the horror of that story is looking at where our hearts can lead us. But the hope in that story is we don't have to be ruled by sin. When we submit to God, he gives us a new heart and the hope for a new kind of relationship. Submitting to God means, you know, I'm, I'm ready to stop doing relationships my way. In fact, I'm, I'm ready to stop doing life my way because it's not working out. Adam and Eve, they, they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to set their own rules. That's our default too. But instead, we can bring our lives into alignment with God's word and let him rule as our king. When we submit to God, we can begin to overcome the selfishness, the arrogance, and the damage. And you can see an example of how this looks in Philippians chapter 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. He had every right to be demanding. He was God. He, he truly was on a higher level than everyone else, and he willingly gave up every good thing for others. Think of a relationship in your life right now that is prone to tension. Maybe someone that you relate to, you know, bring, bring that person to mind and, you know, maybe there's some underlying tension there right now. Reread this passage with that person in mind. It may, it may provide some help. So don't do anything in that relationship with selfish ambition or conceit. Meaning don't, don't place demands or expectations on that person. But in humility, consider them as more important than yourself. Maybe imagine yourself as that person's servant or even their slave. Don't look out for your own interests, but rather theirs. Which means instead of making them pay when you don't get what you want, harming them with your words, let go of your demands. Help them with whatever goal that they have. And if that sounds really hard, just remember Jesus can adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Since he was God, he, he could have forced everyone into submission, but he submitted his life for the benefit of others, even people that hated him. If you were to relate with people in this way, what would your relationships look like? What would be the atmosphere of your friendships? What if this was happening on both sides, that there was this much um, goodwill and deference 
and serving towards one another? What if you were a part of a community of people that were all doing this together? That would be amazing. Only when we submit to God and follow Jesus can we begin loving people deeply, more than we love ourselves. A lot of the tension that I've experienced in my life comes from conversations that turn into arguments. <laughs> um, at the first sign of an argument, whether it's really headed that way or I perceive it's going to be an argument, and, and it can be both, uh, my initial impulse is to defend myself and to shoot back with an argument of my own. I may have the question, uh, I may hear the question, you know, do you know where my purse is? And for some reason I hear, what did you do with my purse? And you better help me find it right now. <laughs> Things get twisted up in my mind and I, I get so defensive and so reactive quickly. There, and then there's times when I really do, there is a, there's an actual complaint against me and uh, here's, here's a little golden nugget that may help you if you ever find yourself in that position too. Behind every complaint is a request. Behind every complaint is a request. If, if I hear a complaint or even an argue, uh, accusation, I do much better when I try to live out Philippians 2, this idea of considering that person as more important than myself. That's really hard. But I can say, if, I, if I'm hearing that something's being brought against me, I say somewhere beneath this complaint is a legitimate concern because this is a real person. Um, even if I can't see right now why it's legitimate, <laughs> I, need, I, need to, I need to go there. I can strive towards uncovering the heart of the message rather than getting all hung up on the words that are being used or the way that it's coming across. And that really is, I get tangled up in that very easily. Um, also, I, I need to watch out for selfish ambition and, and conceit. In, in Philippians 2, that word conceit really has this idea of this empty pride, this, this feeling that I'm right and that I'm in the right position, which is usually baseless. And I've, I have got to be suspect of it. I, I normally just default to that, but it's really suspicious that I'm always right. If any of this resonates with you, I'd like to offer you a special Valentine's Day gift idea <laughs> that you could try out. Purchase the book, The Lost Art of Listening by Michael Knowles. Nichols. Um, I read it in uh, 2019. It was the most helpful book that I read that year. It's worth the price of the book just for chapter six. But on a holiday that is focused on hearts, on a superficial level, I think there's a lot of benefit from looking at what our hearts are truly made of. This week, my daughter asked me, where does, why do we celebrate Valentine's Day? Or where does it come from? And I said, I don't know. I feel like I should know the answer to that question though. <laughs> come to find out, Saint Valentine was a man who had a deep love for God and a very deep love for telling other people about Jesus. At great cost to himself, he, he helped and ministered to Christians that were being persecuted and killed. And at one point, he was even talking about Jesus with the emperor of Rome at the time, and that led to his martyrdom and him being, he, he himself was killed. There's really not that much in his biography about, uh, that immediately deals with romantic love 
But there's a lot in his story that deals with heroic, self-sacrificing love for other people. Which means we've got to know about him that he learned how to deal with his sad heart. He learned how to deal with his selfishness. He, he had arrogance wired in, but he figured out how to deal with that. And instead of damaging other people, he was on mission to help and to heal others. I don't know what is the quality of your relationships, your marriage, or your relationship with your parents, or your children, or, or any of your friends, but I want you to know that there is hope for an amazing kind of relationship. There's, we can have good relationships here and now. God has provided the way for that. And what a difference it makes. This church is an incredible place to experience that. You're watching online or you're listening right now, and I'm very excited about that. In fact, this morning I, I was praying for you. Even if I haven't met you, I've, I've been praying for you as a watcher or a listener, and I'm going to let you in on one of my hidden agendas for you. <laughs> My hope is that over time you would eventually, not necessarily quickly, you would take a step into physical community here at this church and that you would relate in person. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've done that at a church and things didn't turn out that well or there's reasons why you're not doing it now. Um, or maybe you know how to relate in community but there's just some, there's some some barriers that, that you know you ought to remove and take a step forward. Take your time on this idea. Um, I, I know there's lots of reasons to be hesitant, but leave your mind open to the idea of experiencing God's plan for really great friendships with people in person. We're a brand new church and we would love to have you join us. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, of course watching and listening first, but you can join up in other ways. You can let us know that you'd be interested by writing that on your connection card. There's a form you can fill out online. Um, also, we're looking for people to team with us, volunteer, especially on Sunday mornings with our, our worship band um, or with our kids' children's classes or, or with our setup and teardown. There's other ways to get connected through events and connecting in groups and virtual and online and in-person events. And if I've never met you, I would really love to say hello. So put some contact info down, and I'd love just to follow up, and, and thank you for joining us today. Next week, we're going to continue this series, and we're going to look at some more common problems that we have in relationships and how to release the tension. And so I really hope that you'll join us. Let's pray together. Father God, when we do relationships our way, it usually gets pretty messy, and... Even when we're trying to do the right thing, it can get messy. But I thank you so much that through Jesus, we can have new hearts. Uh, we, we can deal with the selfishness and the arrogance that comes so naturally, that willingness to damage others. Help us to recognize that. And I, I believe, like you warned Cain, you warn us too in key moments. And we can turn to you. Give us the courage and the strength to turn to you in the moments where we're uh, needing to make an important decision and how we relate. For those that are investigating what life would be like to be submitted to you, I pray that you would uh, bring clarity and encouragement to make that step and that decision. And would you allow us to build a truly refreshing, God-honoring community of people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us, and I will see you later.